Let's pray. And Lord God, we come before you again tonight, thankful that our salvation is in Christ alone, that it is not dependent upon us, but we've been given a great, magnificent gift of salvation in your Son. Help us, Lord, to recognize from your word just all that it entails and and just the fact that it it was a plan from before the foundations of the earth. You, You have sought us. You've saved us. We are yours. All by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so we praise you in your holy name. Amen. When we have something of value, where do you put it? You, you put it someplace safe, right? You, you tend to put it away. You put it in a drawer. You put it somewhere in the closet. You hide it in the shoebox underneath something, right? You have something of value. You, you, you protect it, don't you? The United States Bullion Depository. It's a lot of words, isn't it? United States Bullion Depository. It holds 147.3 million troy ounces of gold. If I did my calculations correctly, at current market value, that's over $179 billion in gold. And that's just amongst the other items of value that are kept there. Because of the immense value of the things that are kept in that place, someone decided that wishful thinking was not good enough to protect it. They wouldn't just leave it out in the field and hope it stayed there, right? So what did they do? They, they started with a wire fence. And that wire fence has motion detectors on it. From there, you get to a 10-foot electric fence. Good luck with that one, right? If you get past that electric fence, there's another electric fence waiting for you. And it's all watched by armed guards. They even have stations where they can look down at everything and and they have their weapons on them and they're watching. Well, if, if you get through all that, the walls of the depository itself are four foot thick granite. I don't think I even can make a four foot wingspan here. Four foot thick granite, solid and a 22-ton blast-proof front door. There are, of course, surveillance cameras everywhere. And if you get past all of this, there's a complex of smaller compartments to get through if you manage to get through that front door. All of this will get you to the vault itself. Of course, I'm sure they didn't reveal all their secrets on the Internet, right? (laughs) All this will get you to the the vault itself and its 20-ton, 21-inch thick main door, which will probably be a little easier to get through than the 25-inch thick casing of the vault itself. If that's not enough to deter you, there's always the fact that they built the depository at the same location as a United States Army fort, commonly known as... Fort Knox. Because we value 
all these things and all this gold. We protect it, don't we? And we protect it redundantly. We, we put it in a sphere of safety, and we give it layers of safeguards to make sure that it'll always be right where it should be. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We will start at the first verse. Go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's Word. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says in chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. The reading of God's Word. Go ahead and be seated. You expected me to go further, didn't you? He had to stand up for that? It's the reading of God's Word, isn't it? It's special. It's different from Huck Finn. Paul calls us to rejoice here, doesn't he? Finally, my brothers, rejoice. He doesn't call us to a a blind, idiotic silliness. We We don't need to walk around with smiles on our faces without a reason why. He he says there, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We we are called to rejoice in the Lord, in in that sphere of his influence, in that sphere of the Lord's righteousness, in that sphere of the Lord's guardianship. In union with him, in Christ Christ with a Christ-centered perspective. As Christians, we are in Christ. Having accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, trusting in His blood shed at the cross for us, believing in the hope of His resurrection— we, we now find ourselves dressed not in the filthiness of our sins, not in, in the filthiness of our own clothes and, and unrighteous actions, our, our, our acts that fall short of the glory of God. We now find ourselves dressed in his righteousness, perfectly clean, white as snow. Just as God calls Israel, come, reason with me. I'll wash you white as snow. Imagine with me the implications of such a thought. When the Father looks at us, when the Father looks at Bill, Dan, Molly, and me, in Jesus Christ, do you remember doing anything wrong through this day so far? Falling short in any way? In the last year, in the last five years, 20 years, 50 years? Did you ever fall short? In Jesus Christ, we are washed clean, forgiven. The eternal Son of God went to the cross that our sins, past, present, and future, 
are gone. God had you set apart from before the foundations of the earth. You think your, your sin's going to surprise him? And he still called you by name. Washed clean and forgiven in Jesus Christ. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we are made alive eternally. We have been given everlasting life, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. This is the way he loved the world. He gave his only Son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, will not die, but have eternal life. Life without end. In Christ, we are infinitely and eternally loved. Romans 8, 35 to 38. Who? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? What if we should die? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty all-inclusive, isn't it? There isn't a single thing that can separate us from the love of God. Because God's the one who created it all, and if he says he wants to love us, we are loved. There's nothing he created that is going to step in front of God and say no. In Christ, we are secure. John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40, it says, All that the Father, this is Jesus speaking, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never, never is a big word, isn't it? Never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's a great promise, isn't it? In Christ. We have a reason to rejoice. 
Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is a great thing, isn't it? That none of these things are from us. And that's great. That's a good thing because they are not, therefore, dependent upon us. Our security, our salvation, our righteousness, all these things that have been gifted to us, given to us, are given to us in Christ. And therefore, they cannot be negated or lost or taken away. We are clean. Because in Christ, the sacrifice he made was perfect and once for all. He doesn't have to make the sacrifice again. He was eternal, infinite God on the cross in our place. Capable of washing all that sin away. Past, present, and future. For God stands outside of time. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12. Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Only the eternal blood of God, capable of securing an eternal redemption, tasting death, for everyone. These are great things, aren't they? Does the thought of these things cause you to say amen? Does the thought of these things cause you to rejoice? Do you, do you begin? I only went through a couple of things, didn't I? Like three or four things. And, and these things are really, frankly, any one of them is mind-blowing. The depth and the richness of the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. It's just fantastic, isn't it? Can, can you imagine, after considering these wonderful things that we are given, can, can you imagine, maybe you can even remember, what is life like without Christ? What is life like apart from Christ? Without him and, and the hope that we have in him. Can, consider it with me for a moment. How does the world deal with death and loss apart from Christ. How do you even begin to deal with such a thing without a knowledge of the Creator and the hope of salvation? And this is the depth from which Albert Camus and the philosophy of absurdism stem from. That, that hopelessness. Uh, the, the existential quandary of life and, and the total absence of hope. This was his philosophy, trying to deal with the reality of life apart from the Creator and the Savior. And you know what? This, this philosophy got Camus. It got him a Nobel Prize. Because we give prizes to the hopeless to give them hope. Because the world has no hope. They have no answer for why there is evil in this world. No reason for the trials that they go through. And frankly, no reason to continue on. 
in view of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and in view of what life is like apart from Christ, we need to recognize the value of where we are in Christ and rejoice. Be thankful. Be glad. Maybe even sometimes be happy. In Philippians, Paul states that everything on this earth has lost its value when he compares it to the value of knowing Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.8. We'll get to there in a, in a little while. But indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In Hebrews, we're reminded with a warning of, uh, of the immense value of a salvation secured by the blood of the Son of God. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a salvation? Such a salvation that can save us from a just retribution from the punishment that every transgression and disobedience should receive. We have a great salvation in Christ. In Christ, we have been taken from eternal death and separation and have been brought to eternal life in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. Sorry if I'm being a bit redundant in all that. But I, I want to drive home the, the great, immense, huge, ginormous, extravagant value of what we've been given in Christ. And then from, from this position that we have in Christ, we take on a new perspective, don't we? A new, a new view of life, the way we see things, it's different, just, just as Paul did, and, and we rejoice just as Paul did, even in the midst of trial, because we know that God is still at work, don't we? Because God has opened our eyes to this truth. Chapter 1, verse 6 of Philippians. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We have a new perspective on life that, that gives us the eyes to see that God uses even the hardships, even the trials for better things. Chapter 1, verse 12, as, as Paul reflects on all that has happened to him, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's that Joseph philosophy, right? What, what mankind has meant for evil, God intended for good. And the new eyes that we have in Christ, that, that being made new in him, it helps us to see 
That, that what mankind may intend for evil, God can work out for, his good and, for our good and his glory. And these new eyes, this new perspective, it helps us to see that and to realize that the gospel is more important. It is of greater value than anything else on this earth because there's a life that will last forever beyond the short few years we have on this earth chapter 1 verse 18 paul reflecting again he says what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice we rejoice as christians we should have an immense joy as we consider all the wonderful things that God has given us in Christ. Having been joined together with him through his blood, brought into the family of Christ, not by money that can fall apart, wear away, waste away, disappear, but by the blood of Christ, that imperishable, invaluable blood of Christ dressed in his righteousness, having been given a new perspective to, on, on all that we endure on this earth, we rejoice in Christ. In, in the sphere of his righteousness and love, with a renewed vision, new eyes through which we see and understand the truth. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. To write the same things over again to you, to remind you of things that you've already been taught, is a safeguard recognizing the value of what we have been given in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel that we have in our hearts, that spirit that we have alive in us, Paul seeks to safeguard what has been deposited in them. And he does this by writing to them redundantly. Over again, the same things that he had already taught them, the same things that he had already told them, in order to protect the message that they now own, the message that they now have. Just as he says later to Timothy, Paul wants the Philippians to be sure that the truth of the gospel is guarded in them. Second Timothy chapter 1. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It's a good deposit, isn't it? The good news of Jesus Christ and everything we just talked about that he has been given to us, and that only touches the surface of it? How valuable is the gospel then to us? How much value does our salvation retain for us? 
If we really understand the gospel as, as our source of joy in the face of trial, the, the source of our being washed clean of our sins, the source of our being given eternal life in Jesus Christ by his resurrection, if we really comprehend the import and the value of that message of salvation, what are we doing to safeguard it? If it has value for us, what are we doing to safeguard it? How are we being sure that the message of salvation is not manipulated or, or tossed about by every wind of doctrine or human philosophy that should come our way? As we've come to know Jesus Christ through the gospel, how are we guarding that message in our hearts that it would remain just for what God has called it to be? Are, are we, just as Paul, being redundant in our protection of something that we value? Are we reading, studying, praying through God's Word regularly, over and over again? Not just reading through the Scriptures one time, but every time we can read through it to our dying day, repeating it, because I tell you what, there's things I forget all the time, and I reread it, and I go, oh, that's brilliant. God is good. I can never get tired of reading God's Word. I can never hide every last bit of it in my heart. It'll take me a long time. Thank God by the time I can do that, I'll probably be in his arms. Are we doing it every day? Are we doing it regularly? over and again, safeguarding the good news that has been deposited in us? Or are we sharing in God's word with other people who can help us to grow and to mature in our walk with Christ? Are we going to Sunday service that we might learn, that we might be encouraged, that we might be built up and exhorted to walking in God's word according to his ways? And I'm talking to the choir right now, huh? Are we going to Bible school? To take that step from being exhorted to live according to God's ways to really digging into those in-depth details from a teacher teaching us who's taken the time to study and give us all the good stuff within a verse or two. Preaching and teaching are two different ways of learning and, and, and giving the word. Are we sharing God's word through small group fellowship? Have we found a, a group of people in our church family that we can share God's word with, that we can share those questions with that we wouldn't want to ask right here and now because it would just be embarrassing and probably inappropriate, right? Are we doing these things to guard the gospel that it would remain pure, that it would remain exactly for what God has said it to be, not being changed or, or altered in our minds and in our hearts by what mankind would want to introduce into it? Because I tell you what, this world is constantly trying to introduce new things into the truth of God and his word. Have you ever heard of evolutionary theology? Where they're trying to put evolution into God's word. Did God really say it was six days? Yes, he did. Are we confident enough? Have we been redundant enough? Have we read it enough that we have that in our minds and it can't be altered? 
do we realize that Jesus said it was six days in the New Testament? Have we read God's word frequently enough to realize that what God has said is true? Not to let people change it. Manipulate it into something that fits their own point of view. Are we like the psalmist who in in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 says, Blessed is the man who does not, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Or or have we heeded the words that God gave to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1? Only be strong and very courageous, being careful. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to, to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do we delight in the accuracy, in the context, and the application of God's word to our lives? making it a daily part of who we are, that it would be safeguarded with fence after fence after fence, that that maybe even when somebody tries to attack God's word to us, they get shocked from the electric fence, right? We're ready. We're guarded. Not in ourselves, but according to God's word. If we see the value of our salvation, if we understand what it means to be in Christ, we need to be those who layer on the safeguards of God's word, that the truth of Jesus Christ would be protected in us, that it would then come out of us onto the world untainted untainted and pure, purer than any of the gold that is in us. Fort Knox. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that your word would have more value in our eyes than anything on this earth, any amount of gold, any, any amount of, any finite thing that would hold our attention. Lord, I pray that nothing would hold our attention as richly as your word and, and the, the joy of the salvation that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. Lord God, help us to be those who safeguard your word in our hearts, who hold it dear. Protect it so that others can hear it in its truth. Help us to apply it to our lives that we would be those that people can see Christ in us, not just hear about him from us. Make us different and use us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.